welcome to Off the Deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode I sit down with a member of the water polo community to speak with them about what helped make them successful in the world of water polo. In this episode, I sat down with Chris Segesman, the former boys and girls water polo coach at Modern Day High School. If you enjoyed the episode, do me a favor, leave a five-star review or share it with your friends. And if you want to support the show, you can go to offthedeckpodcast.com and donate to the program. Thank you very much. All right. I am here at Orange Lutheran High School with a former head boys and girls water polo coach at Modern Day High School, Chris Segesman, also 2004 Olympian and uh, Long Beach State alumni. Uh, Chris, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. I've been looking forward to like doing this actually <laughs> for a while. So... Um, I guess we'll start with just how did you get started in coaching water polo? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Steve. Really, yep. really appreciate it. And any chance to get to talk about water polo is, is a great time for me. And yeah. have a ton of respect for you and um, appreciate being here. But yeah. I, I got to start coaching coaching water polo just because I fell in love with the sport. You know, I started playing water polo my freshman year in high school at Dos Pueblos High School. And from there, I just fell in love with the sport and I, I was at Long Beach State under the guys of Ken Lindgren and Ricardo Azevedo and started getting involved in shore aquatics. Um, they used to train at Long Beach State so I coached their their 1200 and 1400 kids just helping out for some extra stipend money in, in college as we're all trying to scrape by. And as my career pro- progressed I just felt like it was my it was my calling as I feel like I like for all you know, people or athletes who make it through college or the, you know, the national level or Olympians, they should probably give back to their sport, you know, and mentor and and teach the younger um, athletes what it takes to be successful wherever they end up, yeah. you know, with their ability. So that's really how I got involved. I just, you know, sure really kind of sparked that fire in me to to want to coach, and then I got my first job opportunity actually at the Olympic Games. Uh, Sonora High School and I took it and I just you know from there I just kind of ran with it so I think that a lot a lot of stuff had to do with with the mentorship I had the guidance I had you know growing up with the great coaches I felt that all different styles Um, but I know the impact my coaches had in my life and I really wanted to have that impact on on kids lives yeah and I actually had um, Ricardo on an earlier episode I haven't at the time of this recording, I haven't released it yet, but um, we spoke about Long Beach Shore and his time at Long Beach State. And, you know, I'm actually friends with, you know, the Tramontanos and yeah. which which you played with Chris and a lot of the guys from Long Beach State, Scotty Miller and Corey Dolly and all these guys that most people don't know probably who I'm talking about, <laughs> but we do. Um, but, you know, it seemed like there's a common thread with Long Beach Shore, you know, about just like creating like a community, like building a community there. And all these great coaches that have come from that area, just is that was that all part of like Robert Lynn, Ricardo Azevedo, Ken Lindgren? Was that or was that just something that the players kind of had embedded in them? Because I hear that a lot from Long Beach State people. Yeah, I just I think I think Long Beach is, you know, is a special place. You know, when it comes to aquatics, whether it's swimming or water polo, Klaus Klaus Barth had a had a tremendous impact on a lot of people that grew up in that Long Beach area. Yeah. It's a small community. Um, and I, I think that, you know, you, that's why you see so many great athletes that came from there or coaches. 
um, just because, you know, like, like you know, obviously Tony Azevedo is Tony Azevedo. Yeah. And Ricardo and what he did at Wilson and Long Beach State and national team, you know, those are two huge names. But, um, there's you know, Scotty Miller came from, from Wilson. Adam Wright came from Wilson. Yeah. You know, you can name a lot of players. But it's just I think the community feel and – and those kids, they love to train. They love to be together. They're all a close group of friends. Yeah. Um, and and I think Shore helped facilitate that. Um, so, you know, Long Beach, I'd love to see Shore get back to the levels they were, you know, train out Long Beach State and yeah. and really, really get bring that club back to the to the time they were, when, you know, when I was in college. Yeah. And they were dominating most age groups. Yeah. I actually have had similar conversations with, there's a new generation, I mean, and you kind of are included. I mean, I know you live down here, uh, down further south, but, you know, your teammates have kids that are similar ages to, you know, your ex-teammates. So they're starting to get their kids into water polo and they're starting to navigate this new landscape of like, oh, my gosh, there's a club everywhere. Yeah. You know, like, do we have to be in every tournament every weekend? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> what is the standard now? It, it just yeah. has become totally crazy. So, um so you were at Sonora High School, and I remember when that that happened. Uh, that was like like mid two thousands, right? Like right after the Olympic Games, two thousand four, two thousand five. You were there, um, and I mean that is obviously a, a way different demographic than modern day. Um, and I would assume you just, hey, I got this opportunity, so I'm going to take it. What was the what was the conversation like that took you away from Sonora to modern day? How how did that whole thing come about? Yeah, you know I. I got Doug Kimberly was the principal at Sonora High School. Um, he he won a championship at Esperanza High School as a, as a water polo coach. Oh, okay. Um, and and he was he was a principal there. He's a great guy. And and he actually called me when I was at the Olympic Games in Athens and offered me the position, and also to teach three three fifths, so three periods of PE. Okay. Um, so for me, my you know I was I was married in two thousand three, year for Olympic Games, and and I needed a job. You know you can't survive playing water polo with the national team. And I thought it was a great opportunity. I had a great principal. Yeah. Um, it was a program that was in need of a coach, and they were hungry to, you know, be taught the game of water polo. And so I just I took it. And then what happened was Doug Kimberly moved. Um, he became a, one of the superintendent in the school, in the, in the school district. Mm. And there was two jobs that opened up. There was one, you know, I got a call from – my mentor, Ken Lindgren, and Molly Niskowski, um, modern day, went on a search for they really wanted to take their aquatics program to the new level. Yeah. So they, they had those two guys kind of go on a national search for them. So I got a call from Ken. Um, so I said, you know, I'll just go on an interview to modern day. I, I knew nothing about modern day. I actually asked my wife, Heather, who went to Esperanza, what, you know, modern day, I know they're a great high school, but tell me a little bit more about oh, modern okay. day high school. And I also interviewed at CDM High School because that job was also um, open because Vargas left at that time to go to Stanford University. So yeah. I, I interviewed for both those jobs almost a day apart. And, uh, and I went to the interview at Modern Day, and I just, you know, they were, they were hungry to, to build an aquatics program. And the fact that they didn't have a history, I mean, they had a history of, of water polo, but, you know, they were getting beat by Servite by, like, you know, 22 to 2. And yeah. they, they were just... It wasn't a serious program, and, and uh, it was an opportunity to really take something and mold it. And I felt like Modern Day had all the, all the necessary things in place to really help me as a coach. 
you know, from that I felt like that were important from the weight training to, you know, um, the facility they were building, the brand new complex there, athletic yeah. complex. And so uh, that that's that was the history. And I just like went on the interview with CDM, and I decided modern day was the was the better fit for me. Yeah. And uh, and made that decision. But a lot of that decision was really based on Doug Kimberly was leaving Snore High School. I, I think if Doug Kimberly, Kimberly was stayed as a principal at Snore High School. I was already going back to get my special education credential, mm. and uh, I probably would end up staying at Snore High School. Yeah, I loved the high school, and I really admired Doug Kimberly. Yeah, so I don't, I'm not sure I would have left if yeah, Doug wasn't leaving. That's interesting about the CDM thing because during that time, I was at Northwood High School at the time, and we were like on the way up. And so I remember when you took over at Modern Day. I mean, I, we set up scrimmages and we used yeah. to do all that kind of stuff, um, but. CDM sort of had like a real a lull after Vargas left. They were searching for coaches, and I mean they had some really good people, like ex players, like Olympians, like uh, Mike Evans was a co- the coach there, I think, yeah. instead of you, which is I mean one of the greatest American Olympians ever. Absolutely, um, and it was hard for him. You know, I know he had a really tough time there, and then they kind of went back and forth with some coaches. So interesting that you were kind of picking between the two, and and at modern day like. Were you, um, because there was no facility there, there was no pool. Um, uh, and if there was a pool, it wasn't what it is now. Yeah. So you guys were working out of Woolet, right? Like at nighttime, like late at night. No, actually, I got the job in, in you know, April. Uh, and Modern Day wanted me to start immediately. And so I went to Modern Day and I said, well, what are your facilities? You know, the, the athletic compass was just, wasn't under construction yet. Um, so they had all the weight room outside. Um, and they were actually training out of Santa Ana College. So oh. I went and took one look at Santa Ana College, and, you know, it was a shallow, deep pool with wall cages. It was run down. They had, you know, times were early in the morning, you know, afternoon. So I I made the decision there to go find a, a big facility. Um, so I actually never tra- never brought the team to Santa Ana College. Oh. Um, so then I found the connection through Wallet and – it was tough, and uh, you know I admire those parents because our training times were eight to ten at night. Um, but I just felt like we had a fifty meter pool to ourselves. It was all deep water, and if, if we were really going to have an impact and, and change the culture within the program, we needed to change our training facility. Um, so for the first year and a half, we were training at Wallet Center eight to ten at night. Yeah, and uh, and just sacrificing some things, but uh, it benefited us, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think for for those of People who don't understand um, the dynamics of Woolet, you know, and I do because I'm on the Irvine Aquatics Board. So I, I, I approve a lot of these things that go on. You know, the group users have it till eight. So no right. one can get in there until eight o'clock exactly. at night, no matter what. Eight to ten o'clock. These are non-operational hours, which means you're paying the premium of the premium. Right. Um, even if you're negotiating good rates. So that alone must have told you. Modern day is serious because they're investing tens of thousands of dollars just in my practices. Yeah, we're not grateful as Modern Day was was on board with the idea. You yeah. know, they Modern Day, you know, they they had no clue about aquatics. You know, they're yeah. primarily a football, basketball, volleyball school, um, and aquatics was something new to them. Um, it was just starting to become on the radar. But Wall Center was great at eight to ten at night because it allowed me. To, I ran the boys on one one side and I ran the girls on the other side. Mm. And so from eight to ten at night, I got both programs going, and, and it was 
it was tough. I had, I had to jump from one side to the other, and my assistant coaches were help running both sides. But for the kids, I felt like for the kids, you know, they're not waking up at 4.30 in the morning to get to a 5 a.m. practice. Yeah. You know, most of them are up at 10 o'clock at night anyways doing homework or whatever. Um, so I think the kids, you know, even though it was 8 to 10 at night training, they had a two-hour block during the day they knew they were going to train. Yeah. You know, and they didn't have any morning practice. And so it worked out well. I was, you know, I was grateful Modern Day was on board with that because once we got our new pool and moved to our new pool, it just was seamless. Yeah, yeah. And then you really, they, they probably appreciate it. <laughs> the fact that, oh, yeah. my gosh, wow, look, this is all ours now. So, yeah. I mean, and, and in your in your history of coaching at Modern Day, I'm kind of jumping, you know, around, but in your history of coaching at Modern Day, um, to me, there always seems to be like these certain players that have come into your school that have been like these like pillar type players that have changed or kept up the momentum of what you guys were building at the time. So in the very beginning, the reason I know this is because they were thinking about going to Northwood at the time, which was (laughs) the Weary Brothers. Yeah. And I remember the Weary Brothers. I remember the mom, the dad was like, who is a great coach. I mean, Mr. Weary's, he was a great age group coach. He was telling me, I really wanted to go to Northwood, but my mom, my wife's Catholic. They yeah. want to go to Catholic school. And that, that's what they told me. So I don't know yeah. if that was the truth. It's true. But, yeah, you know, it's but, true. but, you know, I mean, obviously at that point, you hadn't really created a resume, coaching resume per se. Is that accurate to say that? I mean, 100%. At that time, yeah. So, yeah. so getting the Weary Brothers, who were phenomenal age group players, 14 and under right. at the time, um, did that change the game for you? Yeah, it changed, I mean, it changed the landscape because now you're you're getting two phenomenal players and, and two totally different players. You know, Zach Weary was was a totally different player than Alex Weary. Yeah. Um, but but they both had the same background. They came from SoCal. Uh, fundamentals were tremendous. The knowledge of the game was great. And what it did is, you know, like as you know, Steve, work you know Olu and Northwood in your career. Once you get those pillar type players, people start then looking. Yeah. You know, so so the lucky thing is that first year I got Zach Weary, but I also got Ryan Gladich and some other players from CDM, um, along with some current players like Tim Simo that are already there that were complimentary players. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helped elevate the program. They're all freshmen. Mm. And then Alex came in the next year. Yeah. And, you know, the word of mouth travels. You know, you have, you have Alex and Zach Weary, you have Ryan Gladich, and you, you start building where people want to come be a part of something. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, the, the Weary's were, that first year, I just, I don't know if you can call it luck. Um, I think there's always a little luck with, with, you know, kids who make decisions on what high school they want to go to, especially yeah. when it comes to a private school. Um, but I, I think it was luck, and I think it was um, the fact that, people bought into the program that we were starting something new yeah and they yeah. wanted to be a part of it yeah and i mean obviously your playing uh background doesn't hurt you know what i mean because there's not there weren't a ton of like olympians coaching that i could think of at the, at that particular time no you know it kind of became something that was almost like became like a requirement like oh you didn't go to the olympics oh you can't you know now you know and so yeah it, it kind of trended that way but you know, so you're you're at Modern Day and you're starting to build this, you know, the program and, and you sort of mentioned something that I wanted wanted to touch on, which was, you know, they're starting to decide what high schools to go to. Yeah. And I know you and I have had this conversation many times, private, public, all these different things. 
Um, a lot of these kids that people don't know, they say, oh, well, he was supposed to go to Northwood High School, let's say, or he was supposed to go to CDM High School. But what a lot of people don't know is some of these kids are going to private school from the time they're in kindergarten. Right. And so they want to stick with that private school education. And so if there's a program, a water polo program, and my kid plays water polo, then I'd love to stick with a private school education. I think a lot of the families think like that. Right. So public versus private, we get so much flack. You know, <laughs> uh, you did, I did, Brian Flax, uh, Ormsby. Um, what are your thoughts on that criticism? Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I think people are misinformed. You know, I, I think, you know, it's easy, it's easy for people to um, negatively attack private schools, but I think they're really misinformed on how private schools really work. Yeah. Um, I mean, for example, you know, people, the thing I heard all the time is you recruit, you recruit, you recruit. And that couldn't be farther from the truth because we all are under the CIFSS guidelines, right? Yeah. So, and if and some would argue that private schools are under a microscope a lot more than public schools. But the difference is, private schools don't have a boundary. You know, we can kids can come from Chino Hills, they can come from LA. They, mm -hmm. I mean, kids are from all over. Where public schools have a boundary attendance area, and uh, and you have to transfer in if you're yeah. out of that boundary area. Um, so, so I think there's a lot of misconception of really how private schools work. Yeah. And the, and the other thing people understand is how, how much time private schools put into open house, open houses. Uh, Trust me, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Marketing, marketing the schools. I mean, we're all competing with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, what I always admired about all the coaches, you know, especially at modern day, so I've been there for 13 years. I always loved being a part of an athletic program where the coaches were so motivated mm -hmm. um, to mentor kids and be successful in their craft. And I, I always, I just, I just admire each and every coach how they, how many hours they put into it, um, how serious they were about their coaching assignment. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them, coaching was their main focus. Where at a public school, you get a lot of coaches that are teachers. That's their main focus. Yeah. And the coaching is just the fun and love of it, but that's really not their primary job. So I always admire that about public, private schools that I learned a lot from the fellow coaches, you know, how they motivated kids, different training techniques, fundraising ideas, mm -hmm. whatever, it, whatever it was in the scope of coaching. Um, I think of the private school, it's, it's, it's the next level. Yeah. And, uh, so I think I think there's just a lot of misconception out there, yeah. um, and and being a private school coach, the number one thing people don't understand is the, is the amount of pressure that's on us in the private sector. Mm -hmm. um, not only pressure from the administration to perform, because obviously private schools are open because of attendance, mm -hmm. um, but pressure we put on our own selves. Uh, we know we know that we we want to be successful. Yeah. And we want to be we want to be in the in the hunt for a championship in some way every single year. Yeah. So I think that that pressure is is tremendous on coaches, whether it's you know yourself, Olu, Brian Flax, myself, Eric Healy at Loyola. Yeah. I mean, Cathedral Catholic when Ormsby was there. I mean, the pressure is tremendous. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing besides recruiting, you know, going to that recruiting thing, it's so funny when people say the things. It's like, you know. 
I don't know if they're envisioning me at a 14 and under game, you know, and then approaching the parents yeah. and going, hey, you know, about Orange Lutheran, like, you'd have to be totally dumb to do something like that. Yeah. Like, that would just be, you know, well, I think what they don't get, because they're not informed on personal family decisions, how many families come to open house and say, don't tell anybody that we're here or let's keep this or, and, and it's not like we're broadcasting it anyway you know right. it's not like if a family comes we're talking to them like hey you want to come to olu awesome like let's talk about it. you and i know who they are because or maybe someone's tipped us off to hey this player is really good but right. you know the recruiting thing it's like i can't talk to anyone unless they're on this campus like when they walk on this campus and they set up an appointment with me to talk to me if you want to call that recruiting that's fine but they can do that at any school Absolutely. They just choose not to do that. Correct. You know what I mean? At, yeah. at, at the public school. So, you know, that one. And then the other one is is um, scholarships, you know, like every single person in the world is telling me, well, you know, X, Y, Z player are they're on full scholarship. <laughs> Steve's paying their way. Yeah. It's like, no, I, I you know, and, and I think what's hard for me is that it's insulting because some of these families sacrifice so much to be at private school, you know, eight hundred, a thousand dollars a month. You know, and, and so did you hear that a lot, too? Like, you're giving them free everything, and that's why they're there. Is that another criticism that you heard, or was it more recruiting? Uh, I heard both every year. I mean, it was just nonstop, yeah. right? And, you know, it, 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 it wore on me because, you know, like you said, it's like not a slap in the face, but... Mm-hmm. Like, listen, we're working hard here to build something. The kids that are in the program know the truth. Yeah. Um, and you have to find comfort in that. Um, but I I had to, you eventually start, you eventually start just chuckling at, at the people on the message boards or they come up to you or, the, you know, the hearsay, water pulls a small world because they, they just don't know. Yeah. You know, um, and they don't know, like you said, they don't know those kids. They think everybody goes to private school is wealthy. Yeah. You know, so and and so far from the truth. Yeah, no. And there's a lot of kids, that, you know, there's a huge percentage of kids that came through my programs that they were struggling to to make the tuition payments, mm-hmm. and they were struggling to even play water polo. Yeah. And um, so it, you get all walks of life. And but I, yeah, the, the 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 recruiting the recruiting parts was was the biggest one. I think I heard over and over again. Yeah. And and you can show up on a deck of a 1400 game or a 1600 game or 1200 game and just cuz you're on that deck they think you're recruiting. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um but we also know that I'm going to wear my modern day stuff everywhere I go. Yeah. You yeah, know. I am going to I'm going to uh, this is this is who we are. I'm yeah. going to let them know, you know, modern day it's a great program. It's it's you know showcasing that because I'm pri- I'm prideful of it. Yeah, of course. You I know? mean, I wear my Olu gear to my son's flag football games, you know? Yeah. Like, hey, I got a lot of red, you know what I mean? <laughs> what yeah, your, your closet changes quickly, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, that's that's interesting. And and I, I'm sure, and we'll get to the, to where I'm sure that criticism came the most, but just to put, you know, the time frame where that probably came the most, which, I mean, the Walter is Banani. I'm sure that's where the height of <laughs> the criticism was. Um, but... I, I will end it or kind of put a point on it by saying, you know, a lot of those people don't understand, you know, a lot of the coaches that complain because that's the one that pissed me. Off. I don't care about the parents. I, it's my colleagues and my peers that complain that bother yeah. me. And there's a couple very vocal ones. Yeah. You know, that, that I, I'm, I won't name, but I'm sure you you remember. 
you know, when I'm sitting on the deck every weekend coaching my high school team year round and they're not, that's where it bothers me because we put in so many hours yeah. in, you know, when people don't even see all the tournaments, all the traveling, all these different things, you know, if you, if these other people put in that much time, then maybe they wouldn't lose guys to modern day or orange Lutheran or of course. whatever else. Right. You know? Right. So it's like, well, I want to go somewhere where it's really, really serious. Yeah. Whether it is or it isn't, it's perception. You know, you, right. you can't change that. So, right. um, so I'm going to bounce around a little bit. So, you, you know, you went to Long Beach State. Um, uh, you came from Dos Pueblos High School. You became an Olympian in 2004. Um, you know, and so I wanted to sort of get your thoughts about the state of the national team right now. You've had some players, Olympi- Olympians. You were an Olympian. You've got to at least have an eye to it a little bit, you know, Um what do you think about the national team right now? What do you think about college water polo right now? Yeah, well, I think I think you know I I was I'm extremely grateful for the experience I had on the national team because I was coached by one of the greatest coaches to ever coach the game water polo throughout the world, and that's Racco. Um, and so I felt like I hated Racco my four years. I mean, I truly hated him. I mean, and I hated him from a standpoint at that time and my age. I didn't understand what he was trying to make us do, you know, mm-hmm. from every, I mean, the, the 10 hours a day and, and the travel trips and everything he was making us do. I mean, I just, it, it was, it was going through just pure hell, you know? Um, but, but as I look back and as I went through my coaching career, I, I realized it really just crushed me that I, I finally understood Racco's why he did what he did mm-hmm. and I appreciate it so much more every year that went by and I look at the current state of the, of the national team and I can just go off my experience at Racco is there wasn't there wasn't a week that went by where I didn't see Racco during my four years so we would have a minimum of two or three trainings a week in the off season every other weekend if we were playing Premier League, which was, I think it was Premier League at that time, and I was playing for LA Water Polo Club, and Adam Wright and those guys were playing for New York Athletic Club, he was there at every game. Hmm. And we knew that we were being evaluated, and our roster spot was on the line. We knew there was 18 to 20 guys training, and 13 were going to be make the Olympics. And we every game, we were fighting in the eyes of Racco to fight to make that top 13. Yeah. And I look at the current state of the national team, and it was a disastrous Olympic Games, uh, this last Olympics. Mm-hmm. And um, I see a coach that's non-existent. They don't train. Mm-hmm. Um, even at trainings, from right here, he's, he doesn't coach much. Um, he's getting paid a ton of money. And I think it, we're in a serious state right now where we have no leadership on the national level with the men's team. And we have we have athletes who are coming in and making Olympic games after training for a month, two months, three months. We have athletes who are on the national team and we they, they train maybe a month or two before they play their major tournaments in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's we'll never be successful that way. And I always remember when I was in college, Mike Skalski said, "Hey, it's a big jump from high school to college." But going from college to the national level is a huge jump. 
And I remember Racco, we would go on 45, 60 day trips. Jeez. You know, we traveled the world constantly. I mean, we were gone from from April through through August, just traveling and playing. Training everywhere. Training everywhere. And I remember my first game, you know, I, I went to the na- on the national level. I I wasn't I was so I was blown away by the talent of the Hungarians and the Croatians and and yeah, college water polo is college water polo, but college water polo is nowhere near the level you need to be at to be an Olympian or yeah. play at the national level. So we have a coach right now that I feel like isn't preparing us to be successful for Olympic Games, and he's and and why we continue to support him, and why he's still in that position. Um, we are just following years and years behind the rest of the world, you know, as as each as each quadrium goes. Yeah. So from the state of the national team as a fellow Olympian, you know, talking candidly, um, I think we're in serious trouble. We need someone who really understands the American way, who really can relate to these athletes, someone who is motivated um, to be a part of, of a group of, of guys that, um, you know, if you, you know, skip around a little bit. You go back to 2004, we didn't have a great Olympics, but we are a young team. Yeah. We are four years into it, Racco's eight-year plan. Well, look what happened in 2008. Yeah. I decided not to play again, but that team won a silver medal. Yeah. And they were, they were in the gold medal match. So Racco's vision, his plan, was the correct plan. Yeah. Um, and we need to go back to that. So, and, and so when it comes to this last Olympic Games, 2016, um, the, the plan apparently is the 2004, 2008 plan. Okay. We're going to take some young guys, you know, we're, we're going to be a young team, but in 2020, it's all ours. And then all of a sudden you have like seven people basically quit the team at the peak of their career. I mean, I would assume, and I don't want to get into, you you probably have a bunch of different reasons why you stopped playing. Sure. You know, if you were married in 2003, that's probably the biggest <laughs> one right there. You know, you just have a family. Yeah. I mean, that that's yeah. probably the biggest one right yeah. there. You're not single anymore. So, yeah. um, but I mean, if you were in charge, um, would you, would you just start over, cut everybody? And just start, I mean, or do you think we, I guess my, my question is this, do you, do you think we have the pieces on the team, the natural talent, the athletic ability on the team right now, available players that can get you to where you want to go? I mean, we're in 2019, so yeah, it's pretty late in the game at this yeah, point, absolutely. but I mean, is the talent there or have we like cut the wrong people? You know, there's I think there's tremendous talent. Uh, you know, there's some tremendous young talent yeah. in the national system. You know, from the outside looking in, I'm obviously not on the pool deck with yeah. the national team every day. Yeah. But from the outside looking in, I think that we're not doing a good enough job teaching these kids the tremendous amount of responsibility and pride you should have representing the United States of America. And to be, it, it is a it is a privilege to be on the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, you know, I remember going through the system, and I was on the, on the on the junior team. I was on the you know, the collegiate world youth team, uh, world whatever university games yeah. team. I was on the national B team, and I had to work my way up. You know, getting beat up 
every day in practice from Shai Cordell and mm-hmm. Odie and those guys. And I really had to work my way to be a national team member. So when I got to that point in 2001, I just, I was just, I just knew what a privilege it was to be in that practice every day. Yeah. To put on that cap, USA cap, to hear the national anthem play for me. Um, that was something really special. Mm-hmm. So I think that, I think we're missing that. I think these kids that are coming in, they're being brought up in high school and they don't understand the process and, and, the, and, the, and the situation they're in and what they're representing yeah. and the legacy they're representing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think we're missing that. Um, that's a big part of it. So I don't think that's, it's not the talent, it's more so the attitude. Um, and that really starts from the top. Yeah, I yeah. mean, if you think about it, that starts from the, from the head coach. That starts from the organization and leadership of USA Water Polo. Um, we're we're not going to get there 2020. We're not going to get there until we until we change the situation with the with with the head coach, and we put someone in there that can really help facilitate back that um, that appreciation for being on the national team. What it takes to really grind and train. Um, how are we going to compete with these European teams that, from the from the young age, they're in the pool with you know adults, yeah, yeah. playing water polo every single day. Yeah, it's not going to happen by sending somebody to the Italian Pro League for three months, or you no. know, like it's just not going to happen that way. No, you we know? need yeah, we, and, and and a lot of that, you know, guys that that quit, and there's no funding. Yeah. So how do we expect how do we expect guys to play eight, twelve years on the national team? When there's no funding for them to, that's they, that can't be their life. Yeah, the money's going to the wrong place. The money's going to the wrong place, and these guys either have to go play in Europe pro, yeah. which you're leaving the United States to go play in Europe, which yeah. some people really like yeah. and some people don't, um, or you have to have a full time job and train on the side. And uh, and I always admired Omar. You know, I mean, Omar was flying back and forth from Harvard medical school to train he became an olympian and and he did it but it wasn't easy yeah and no. uh that's one out of that's one yeah. and uh and so until we figure out how we're going to really support our national team members and and allow them to to make this a job for you know four or eight years whatever it may be um we're, we're never going to be we're never going to get back to that world stage i mean yeah. go back to in 2008 why were we successful well that same group of guys, for the most part, you know, like Dan Klatt, myself, and Omar, we moved on. But that Ormsby. same that same core group was together for eight years. Yeah. And their experience really came under Racco from 2000 to 2004. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I, I remember, I mean, you probably don't remember, but you guys were training at Northwood High School a couple times. And yeah. I had my club out there watching, and I remember, you know, just watching him coach. And, you know, and, and it's interesting that you bring up the National B team because I was a part of that from the East Coast, and we'd come out here and, and we'd play. And it was a pipe dream. It was never going to happen from from us, our pool of guys. But I think something that was interesting is that the pool of players that were available from 96 or 97 until about 2004 was probably five times the available players now. And so yeah. if someone gets hurt or someone gets cut or whatever – you really have you're really losing a lot you know it's like whereas back then there was similar 
I mean, you got cut because it was a really close thing is what I would assume. Like, yeah. you know, it was like, okay, I just feel better with this guy or, or whatever it is. Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting that you bring up regarding money is I couldn't imagine if the Lakers head coach was the highest paid person on the team. You know, <laughs> it seems weird that the highest paid person on the team is the coach. You, you know, it, it. I agree. Well, the higher the highest paid person is the coach, and he's only working a couple months a year, yeah. if that. Yeah. I mean, let's put it in perspective, right? I never saw Dan at a high school game. Yeah. You know, yeah, he goes to a few college big tournaments, um, but they're not training full time. You know, they're not going on travel trips all the time. Yeah. Because maybe there's not funding for that. Um, I just wonder where the preparation is. You know, um, where the seriousness is of that position, because you if you look across the way to the women's team and you see what Adam does and the pipeline he has and the stuff he does and and Adam, you know, bringing in guys training as his girls in the off season and, Mm -hmm. you know, things Adam's doing. You look at that and you say Adam is constantly engaged with a great coaching staff. He's constantly engaged in trying to make the team better. Um, he's really building a foundation. So if a girl does get hurt or something, a situation happens, there's a next person to fill that gap. Yeah, he's got a sophomore, a junior, and a senior on this roster going to the Intercontinental Tournament that they just announced I yesterday. Mean, and it's tremendous. Like, that's amazing. And women are different than men, of course. You of know, course. You know, but, um, I, you know, you bring up Adam, and I think I've said this earlier, is like, one of the biggest thrills for me is just as a coach is looking right behind me and I'm seeing Adam Krikorian sitting poolside at my semifinal game. Like, yeah. that's the two-time gold medal winning coach. And we're cool. Like, we yeah. shake hands. He knows me. He, he knows my name. He, yeah. we, I've coached against him, you know. So that definitely makes you feel good as just being in the community when yeah. the top guy is going, hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm here to be entertained by this high school game. I mean, how does that not spread love throughout the entire community. You yeah. know what I mean? So Well, even on top of that, I mean, think think about this for a second. When I decided to leave Modern Day, that day I got a text from Adam Kikorian. And, you know, I, I know Adam and, you know, we're not good friends. We don't hang out like, you know, yeah. on a weekend. But I got a, I got a really nice text message from Adam Kikorian. I mean, I was blown away. It came across my phone. Um, but to me, that, that really hit me hard and it speaks volumes. Yeah. Of the type of person he is and and what he's doing within USA Water Polo for the women's side. And you have to really appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, I didn't get anything from day on. And I wouldn't expect it from day on. Yeah. Um, but for Adam to be in tune with what's going on at all levels within the sport. That's huge. That's what I expect from my national team coach. Yeah, that is. That- I mean, we should expect that because every kid's dream should be – to play on a play the national team, yeah. right? Like 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 a kid's dream when they're dribbling a basketball on a basketball court. I want to be in the NBA. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And sure, there's steps they know college, high school, college, and so forth to get there. Well, our kids when they're 10, 10 years old, twelve years old, they should they should know who's on the national team. Yeah. They, their dream should be I want to be on the youth team, junior team, national team, and uh, I just don't know if that's there right now. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with the leadership at the top. And I see that on the women's side. You see, you see girls who are, you know, my daughter plays for 10 and unders, right? And you see, you see like the 14s practicing. 
And you see those four teams, they're, they're wearing USA caps, and they're totally engaged with who's on the national team. Mm-hmm. You see the national team members in the pool with them practicing at times. They're coached by an Olympian. Yeah. Um, that's special to me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't you can't replace that. It's like you working can't. out with your hero. Yeah, for sure. Like, how could you not love that? You know what I mean? Then that's, yeah. That's a tough – That's a, so I'm going to ask you something that – Everyone is probably wondering when I'm going to ask you, would you be the coach of the men's national team if they asked you? No. No. Uh, that I, I was never interested in being a coach of a collegiate coach or a national team coach. That wasn't that wasn't my age group that I wanted to really coach. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe to, I, if I went back and I was really in my back coaching, you know, a couple of years ago, and uh, I would have thought about being an assistant. Yeah. Um, for the national team, but but not a head coach. I, I didn't feel like that was my level of coaching. Yeah. I, I really wanted to be a mentor coach, really wanted to prepare kids for, for the collegiate level, national team level, and I just fell in love with the high school level. Yeah, yeah. You know, the 14 to 18 range, that was my niche. Yeah, cool. Um, so what type of player were you at Long Beach State? What would your teammates say about you if you could deep dig deep into that? Were you were you a team guy in terms of like, hey, let's all hang out? Were you more reserved? Were you I mean, were you the kind of person who, you know, pushed people around? I mean, you know, you're a big guy, you know, you played a really tough position. I mean, the guys who you're regarding even in practice, like Corey Dolly, you know, six, yeah. six foot six, and yeah. who knows how much he weighs, you know, like yeah. he's a big, big dude. Um, what type of teammate were you? You know, I was, I was really serious about water polo. You know, I, I, I grinded. Uh, I knew that I didn't have the talent level of a lot of these, a lot of the other college players. Like, I didn't have an unbelievable shot. You know, I wasn't super creative. I, I I knew I was a good swimmer. My counterattack was my bread and butter, and my defense was my bread and butter. So I knew I had to work on some things if I really wanted to make a bigger impact and, and you know, make the national team someday. So I was a type of player that on days off, my best friend was a goalie. Um, Tony and I trained all the time. He was in high school at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, we just go shoot on them for hours in the, in the, in the dive tank of Long Beach state, gotcha. you know? So I was the type of guy when practice ended days off, I was in the weight room. I was in the pool shooting. I was in the pool swimming. Um, I was the team that tried to lead more by example than vocally. Yeah. Um, I thought I was a good, you know, I like to say, think myself as a good teammate. Mm-hmm. Um, the type of player I was, um, gosh, I don't know what people would say about me as a type of player. I, you know, I don't think I was the nicest player in the water. You know, I was a center defender. Yeah. Um, and that's a you're you're in a battling position every time. Um, but yeah, I I'm not sure that's a good question. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I'd be curious to see what people would say about it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that the only thing that people have to go off of just from my perspective is your coaching. And you you're coaching by um you know, it, it didn't look like, and I'm sure in private meetings and things like that, you got input from your players just like we all do, you know, yeah. but it seemed like it was like a, you know, you were kind of like dictating exactly what you wanted and, and it was my way or the highway type thing. For sure. That's what it looked like as from an outsider's perspective. So I just wondered if that was 
you know, brought to that coaching style was brought from your playing days, you know, as a player, or if it was more like learning from the coaches that had coached you, you know? Well, I definitely had to learn. I definitely had to learn in college. You know, I was so serious about water polo and, and, uh, you know, Dolly and Traumatano and Scotty. And those guys were serious about water polo and they were unbelievable teammates, but they also, they also had the other side too. Yeah. You know, they knew about, they, they had the, you know, they were at Long Beach State. They want to have fun. Yeah. Um, and so I, I struggled a lot, you know, with with certain situations at the beginning, early on, being a leader on the team, with understanding why they weren't putting in more time outside of practice. Gotcha. And when we lose games, I I was pissed. You know, I was pissed because I I wanted to beat USC. Like I wanted to compete with UCLA. I was yeah. tired of of being in that second tier. Yeah. Um, you were there to win a national championship. I was there to win a national championship. Yeah. You know, um, and so I had I had to learn over the years not to accept where we were, but to still demand the same level, but understand that everybody goes about it differently, mm-hmm. and that I was the way I approached it was totally different than the way like Scotty Miller would approach it or Corey Dolly or yeah. you know Shy Cordell or whoever went through Long Beach State. They, everybody approached it differently. Yeah. We all had the same goals. We all wanted to be successful, um, and that that was that was a struggle. So, I mean, there there was moments you know where. Where we we'd get you know we we'd get into it we would you know I question things but yeah. um, I think that's part of just learning how to be a leader and learning how to you know maturing through the process yeah yeah and I mean yeah, just to touch on like someone like Scotty Miller who's like the most he's like the a fun guy you know like we Love I actually just saw him I just actually just saw him last weekend you know he's yeah. a great guy you know just like loves everybody you know really yeah. nice. Um, but he's more of the creative guy, you know what I mean? He's more of like super creative, very athletic, but there's also familiarity with the coach. I mean, Ricardo coached him in high school, so I'm sure there's a different dynamic than you coming from Dos Pueblos and kind of not knowing anybody and just saying like, I got to fit in here and I got to make my own way basically, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm assuming that it was just like a different dynamic, but it's interesting to, to hear. And, um, so I'm going to keep going with sort of your coaching and, um, you know, you've coached a lot of great players, men and men and women. Um, what have you seen similarities in successful players? That's a good question. You know, um, I think the number one thing with all my, with all my great players, they were good teammates, you know, um, there was, there was, there was one or two or three of them that, you know, questionable at times but for for all my great players really understood in the moment um they had to be a good teammate but the number one quality is they were they were comfortable being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. if you know what i mean by that yeah all the great players no matter if if they're whatever the adversity is in a game or whatever the situation that's in front of them they were comfortable and they can play in those moments. They can they can make decisions in those moments, and that really separated the kids that were here to the kid you know high and the kids that were medium. The yeah. kids are you know a little lower on the totem pole. Um, that was a big trait of all those guys. Um, so I I think that 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 that's the biggest big biggest attribute of all the players I've coached. Um, and that will you know like you take like a like a like a Brett Benani uh, type player, um, or like a John Walters, mm-hmm. their their desire to be great. You know, like those guys hated losing. 
right? Yeah. You know, those guys hated losing. They had a, they just they wanted to be the best, and the, those are those are what makes good players. Yeah, yeah. I didn't I didn't know Banani really at all. Um, you guys were I was just had gotten to Olu. You guys were so far above us at that point. But I grew up uh, through my coaching, John Walters, James. Those guys were around a lot. Yeah. And I mean, I love the Walters family so much. Um, yeah, I love John. I love James. Um, those guys were animals, man. I mean, they loved competing. They loved training hard. They loved being the best. I yeah. mean, and even at the eleven-year-old level, you know, I remember James. I, I was an ODP coach. John was on my team. James. One of the team managers said, you can't take James. You yeah. can't take him. He's 11 at the time. And I was like, he's he's the best. You know, he's one of the best 15 or 16 sure. and unders right now. Like, why would we not take him? Yeah. And so they put him on, like, some, like, Southwest zone team for, like, the ODP National Championship. And, I mean, even then, he was just... He did whatever it took to like score a goal or to or for his team to win. Like, yeah, that's what I saw from him. Yeah, you know? James. James was the grinder. You know, James was, James was the hard worker of the two. Yeah. You know, James. James really worked at it. Yeah. He was so talented. He had a great vision for the game. Yeah. Uh, but James got there because he worked. Yeah. You know, he he understood the game really well. Yeah. Um, you know, John. John was John was the most talented player I've ever seen in my life. I mean, really, there's not a position John couldn't play. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, he was he was big and he was strong and he was fast, but John was so talented. Yeah, I like, mean, he 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 could have been a defender, he could have been center, he could have been an attacker. He, he had such a weird body type. Yeah, where the it was like lanky arms, but like a big chest, and you know, not like all cut and everything like the traditional, you know, like a Bonani, for example. Yeah. He could have put in. He could have put on another twenty five pounds. He could have lost twenty pounds and and put in a different position. I mean, that's what I saw from him. It's amazing. Yeah, it was just all depend. It all just mattered if John really wanted to apply himself to it. Yeah, you know. I mean, he hated losing. So I, I know no doubt. John, uh, it was game day. John was going to be. He was going to come to play. Yeah. It was. It was the day and day out practice and the preparation and everything else that went with it. And uh, but John John was a character man. He he was a, he was a funny kid. Yeah. And uh, but he he was probably the most talented kid. One of the most talented kids I've ever coached. Yeah. Um, just purely can play any position. Um, no doubt in my mind that he would have been an Olympian. Yeah. Um, if he if he was around today. So. Yeah, it's yeah, tough. It's really tough. Yeah. And so I wanna you know you went through you know talk about the Walters days, Banani, McQuimbaron, um, Debeau. You know, guys who probably in 2000 to 2008 would have been on the national team, um, but for some reason they're not, you know, yeah. what, whatever the reason is. Yeah. We, we could probably think of a hundred reasons. But <laughs> what was it like to go through that win streak? Um, I mean, obviously, what was it, 120? 100? God, I, I feel like a hundred and... No, to be honest, I really don't know. Okay, it was, so let's it was just, in the 100s. Okay, let's yeah. just say it was 130. Yeah. Okay. Out of those 130, would you say, would you agree with me that 75 to 80% of those games were gimmies? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. so you play 
you know, the first round of a tournament or, or whatever it oh, is. for sure. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. All right. So you only really are going to have 25% of the games or 20% of the games that are like freaking really, really, really serious. Yeah. El Toro at the time, Cathedral Catholic at the time, Newport, I think. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I can't, I can't think of the other one. Um, what are you continually telling your players during that, those moments? Are you aware of the streak? Do you care? Do you talk about it? Do you let the players talk about it? What is going on during that time that you could remember? Yeah, you know, you know, going going back to to Debo and Panani, you know, everybody thinks that because they were just tremendous college players that they came to modern day and they were they were great players, yeah. you know. And I don't know how you know. I always had the philosophy that I always wanted one to two freshmen, young players, to be on my starting lineup or getting playing time. Because I always felt like if I didn't have freshmen involved in the varsity team, there was going to be ups and downs. Yeah, right? I feel the same way. So, you know, I remember Deboe. I remember clear as day. I was, I was at Newport, and Deboe was maybe 150, 140 pounds, just a fast kid with no muscle on his body. Yeah. And I have him. I have him starting on varsity, playing, playing with those great those, with that team. And he's just I loved him because he played great defense. He he countered hard. And he was a great role player, mm-hmm. you know. Same thing, with Benani. I mean, Benani didn't start his freshman year. He came off the bench, and he was a tremendous part of why we won a championship that first year of freshman. He scored three or four goals in the championship game. Mm-hmm. But he was, you know, he's a surf kid coming from Huntington Beach that yeah. just started playing water polo a couple years before. Yeah, that had a great arm, you know. And and those guys, those guys got to where they were because they were tremendous work ethic. And they were good. They were good guys. Yeah. You know, good teammates. But going back to the, going back to the win streak, we never talked about it. I mean, I, I mean, as funny as it is, we almost didn't even know it was happening. We were so we were so focused on the day to day, you know, the training, the weight training, the next game, um, the next year, the off season. Mm-hmm. I mean, we never thought about it. I mean, what we really enjoyed was we were we were trying to win not only high school season, but then we were preparing to win JOs or you know whatever term it was you know um, during the club season. So for us, the pride was we are a pure high school team. No pure high school teams ever won the Junior Olympics, um, and we were accomplishing that, and we were accomplishing winning the championship in high school. And it was just, I think it was just pure fun for the guys. Yeah. You like, know, it was we're on top. No yeah, it was this. never about the streak. It was about like we are we're we're winning championships and we're doing something right. Let's keep doing it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um so we we never it never crossed our mind. Yeah. It, it was just more trying to okay, how how are we gonna get better from this point on? You know, how who who in high school are we now gonna have to watch during the off season and really prepare for during the season? Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, and and you touch on the JOs thing, which I think is an important piece because I know you know you and I have had this conversation multiple times, but I would like to get your take again on it, and which is, um, you know, I think it's easy to say, well, you have this great team in high school, and you're going to be a club team, but you guys are already a great team, so you can win club stuff. If you were at Sonora High School, would you have done the same thing? Would you have let made those guys play together if you had the choice? Like you said, you could require it. I mean, obviously, at modern day, you could say required. Yeah. Same with Olu. But yeah. you're at Sonora High School. Would you have made them play together? Absolutely. 
I, I think for, for me as a coach, you know, I think we share the same kind of philosophy. Yeah. Um, I, wanna, I want my kids to be together year-round because I just felt like I, felt like I had the program in place to, to prepare them for college, which was my responsibility as a high school coach. You know, I've always felt my responsibility as a, as a coach was not to win a championship. Yeah. Like, if that happened, I'm super proud just because I'm happy for the kids. Yeah. It wasn't about me winning a championship. It was just to watch those kids, you know, the joy on their faces, course, right? I mean, of course. it's probably your same thing. You, yeah. Those yeah. are the moments you remember, kids crying, and they accomplished a goal. Yeah. Um, but for me, it was the preparation year-round. How can I have an impact on a kid if I coach in just September, August through November, and then I only see them for 45 minutes to an hour a day, and they go play on a club team, getting coached by another coach, different philosophy, different type of of you know coaching, X yeah. and O's, and then they come back to me. It's like, how can I ever have an impact on that kid, or how can we ever be a cohesive team? You know, you talk about those moments, like being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Though you see the team, you, you, if you look at the high school water polo landscape today, what are the successful teams? You know, you got you got Olu, you got Harvard Westlake, you got Loyola, you got Newport. You know, you, you know, Jay Sarah's gonna be coming up with Ornsey there. Yeah. I mean, you you get what what do they have in common? Well, they have in common that they they train together year round, and those kids that when you get when you get in adverse moments, those kids they they know how to play with each other. They know how one another moves. They they mm-hmm. know where they're going to be open. They know the X and O's of what the coach is trying to has in place. So, I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, I think at our level, it's it's about mentoring these kids to be good young, good young adults to make try to make better decisions in life. Yeah, of course. You know, we spend more time with them than their parents do. Yeah, yeah. And and to fall in love with the game of water polo and to get prepared for the next level, whether that's some of them play Division One water polo, some play Division Two, II, Division Three, some just play club. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with any of those, but I feel like I need to prepare them for that next step. Yeah. No, that makes so. that makes total sense. And I mean, I'm, I'm in 100, you know, I'm in 100% agreement and, I've got a lot of pushback, you know, not at Olu, but beforehand, I had a lot of pushback about that, which, you know, I still blame us losing 2006 CIF to El Toro because we didn't play together. I still put it yeah. on that. You know what I mean? I think if we had played together all year round, I think we would have won. You know, yeah. it's just, you, you can't beat that. Um, well, how do you, how do you beat like, I mean, let's take example like SoCal, right? I mean, just cause my daughter's a part of the SoCal water yeah. polo club now. They have like they have like 150 high school boys out there, yeah. And you have one coach or two coaches for you know 40 kids, 50 kids in the water. How do those kids get the individual attention to get better? Yeah, yeah. You, you know. But when you have a when you have a high school coach that's willing to give the individual attention and put in the hours to help develop those skills, you know, and life lessons, as a parent, how do you not appreciate that? Yeah, for sure. And want that. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, in my opinion, so. So let me ask you, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a pushback question. Yeah. Um, which I know you're not afraid of. <laughs> <laughs> so why not, or why did that change with the girls? Why did you, did you feel like you had enough time with them to be able to provide that cohesiveness? Or was there some other thing that, because I know a lot of your girls were playing for SoCal. At the yeah, time, yeah. you know, at, at one point they were, yeah. you know, it was Regency for a while, but you guys, and, and again, you can correct me, but I know you guys still did a lot of tournaments together. There was just a couple that like 
like jails and stuff yeah. like that where you where you did yeah so yeah no I you know a lot of people a lot of people took it as I care about the boys more than the girls because of that reason mm-hmm. but quite frankly the bottom line was for some reason the girls coming up to the club system when they get to making a decision in their high school they develop their friendship is so strong with the girls with every club they came up with whether it's SoCal set whatever it may be they don't want to lose that yeah <laughs> they don't want to lose that, that friendship yeah it's you know hard. where boys they come up through the club systems and they love paying their buds you know they love their teammate but they see it as a challenge mm-hmm. you know to say they go to regency and they they're now with their high school group and they want to go compete and win jos they take that as like more of a challenge where girls really i i believe are in it not only for water polo to be great but the social scene too mm-hmm. so what i saw at modern day is if i as i demanded the girls to be with regency you know um within the program we had um girls were were not coming to modern day high school because of it they were choosing to go to other schools where the coaches were more flexible and open to them playing for their club teams and so i felt like if modern day was ever going to compete at the level with the other fellow schools we had to open it up a little bit mm-hmm. and so we opened it i it, it was tough for me yeah you know it was really tough for me because i had a group of girls that were totally committed 100% to regency only and i had a group of girls that were 80% regency 20% their club team but those girls that wanted to play for their club team they knew they they could not miss a practice mm-hmm. they they would play the major tournaments with their club team but they were expected to play certain tournaments with regency under the regency umbrella mm-hmm. so they did a really good job of working with both um, but it but where it suffered is i felt like we had a really good some really good girls teams that could have done well at JOs, never won JOs, but been in the top 10. And that experience could have really paid off in the high school season. And we could have never experienced that because, you know, and I respect them for it. They were loyal to their club. So to be honest, it really came down to if I I wanted to compete and get the the higher level talent in modern day, I had to open it up to allowing girls to have the option to play for both Regency and... Um, their club team, whatever club team it may be. Yeah, no, that's that's. Yeah, I, I experienced that here at Olu. I mean, a lot of the reason why a lot of the girls don't come from certain clubs, you know, really it's one or two <laughs> certain clubs. <laughs> yeah, is because they want to. It's like summer camp. You know, they go back and they play with all their friends that they played from ten and under all the yeah. way up. And I understand that. You know, yeah. um, I, I totally get that. But it's just, it's hard to like say, go wherever. Um, because I don't want to see one of my girls on the B team or I don't want to see, you know, that, I think that's the, that's the toughest part for me is like, you know, and, and I don't know that, I don't know if that will ever change, but I, I could see how it would be easier in, in a way to just say like, look, like I get it. You might bring in one or two. I mean, truthfully, yeah. right. Yeah. I mean, you might bring in a couple friends if they know that, they could play for SoCal or set or whatever it might be. Yeah, because these, a lot of these parents they want the Catholic education mm-hmm. and they want to be a part of a of a, of a good program. Um, same thing here, I'm sure at Olu. You know, yeah. parents are looking to come to Olu, but they also love that other part where they've already built for the last. You know, these kids start playing eight years old yeah. at the club team, right? Yeah. So the last six years, the friendships they don't want to lose that. Yeah. So it's tough. It's finding that balance. Yeah. as a coach but it was it was difficult 
I mean, I couldn't, I, I would be lying if I didn't sit back at times over tough losses and say, wow, if we, thinking if we were together year round and playing the high level tournaments, you know, year round together, yeah. would the result been different? Yeah. And I mean, I think, I mean, I think you're selling yourself short because I do think that you, your girls could have meddled a couple years. There was a couple years where you guys could have meddled, I, I think, you know, at the 18s or 16s for sure. Yeah. Our team got bronze, you know, 16s. Uh, against 805 and that was a ridiculously yeah. good team you know yeah. so um yeah i definitely think you're selling yourself short but on on that part of it but do you think you know do you think that's the difference between the winning the cif for the boys and not for the girls you think that's one big part of it you know because you get you were a lot of finals yeah i i think that's i think that's i don't think that's part of i think it's a fa- that's a factor yeah. You know, I, I was I always looked over at, you know, I knew you had your girls at JOs and I followed you as as your girls were going. Yeah. You probably didn't know you obviously didn't know it, but I'm watching you yeah. go through the brackets. And at 18s and I'm coaching 16s and I got a group of girls who were just committed to Regency at 16s and I was more than happy to coach them. Um but I but I'm thinking like, wow, Steve's kids are getting this experience at the 18 level and and look how much better they're getting throughout this tournament. Yeah. And I got to, I got to compete with them in league and CIF next year. Yeah. And so I think that was part of the girls, but I also I also think we were missing, we were always missing that one or two pieces to the puzzle. You know, we were one to two pieces short. Yeah. And uh, and that's just the reality of it. Yeah. You know, it's it's been a lot of people think you know you had all the talent in the world. Yeah. You need talent, of course. But I would have to say, a lot of you know, eighty percent of my champion of the championships that I was able to be a part of at Modern Day weren't won by the most talented kids. Yeah, they were won by those kids that were role players, hitting big shots or a big steal or a big defensive shot block in the big moments. Mm-hmm. And real and, and that those are the prideful moments for sure. I mean, the stars will get you to the championship game, but the role players win it. The role players win it for sure. I mean, because yeah. otherwise the other team is not doing their job by stopping exactly. their the best player. You exactly. know, like you had to stop. You know, Halleck. You know, at one point, yeah, you know, we dropped you had, everybody on him. Yeah, right? and I so mean, same thing with Oaks Christian. Yeah. You know, when you beat them in the final, and and that was, you know, Siebold's senior year, I, I believe. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, obviously you're not going to like let Earhart beat you right somebody right. else has to beat you exactly no one that that's where they make big moments for yeah sure. so we were just missing we were always missing that one to two whatever the piece was you yeah. know um to get there but it doesn't take away how, pr- how you know the, how proud i am of the girls and what we've accomplished because you know again it's not about winning the championships yeah. and more than anything i feel bad for them because i really want them to experience that yeah, yeah. you know whether yeah. win or losing the championship being in the championship is a special moment and I want them to experience that, yeah. you know. Um, so that's that's really where I saddens me as I look back at, at the at the girls' program over the yeah. years. Yeah. So I know you're pressed for time, and I got a couple more questions, maybe a little bit lengthy, but um, I want to get into talking about you know your decision to leave Modern Day and how that you know I guess. Not that there's rumors, but I think everybody kind of wanted to know well, what what was it. And I feel like I kind of got a pretty good picture because you and I talked at the CIF meeting. And I mean, I, I knew you were sold when you said to me, 
I didn't get one email this weekend. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, that's like amazing. Like you did not get an email this weekend, you know? So I knew at that point you, you know, you weren't looking back. Um, but, you know, what was it like to, 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 to leave? Um, and then, you know, part of that is, I know you didn't want Regency to stay behind, you know, yeah. you wanted to take Regency with you right. and just say, look, like I'm, I'm sh- shutting, uh, shop down. Right. Um, what was that like? I mean, what was it like to leave? And, and, and before you say that, I want to say one thing that I've always personally believed, and I don't know if you agree with this, and that is the coach will be forgotten in a week. Yeah. The buildup is always really hard, but when the coach leaves, it's like you're forced to move on. You don't have any Absolutely. choice, you know? Yeah. So as an athlete, as a parent, especially the athletes, they're like, oh, okay, well, he's gone. All right, who's next type yeah. thing. Um, so what could you tell us about that? Well, I, there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of factors, you know? Um, but the most, the most important thing, really honestly, is I was presented with a, with a situation with Benani Development um, that was just a life-changing thing that I, an opportunity that to work with a great group of guys mm-hmm. to work with you know Ed Minani is the owner but also Brett was coming out of Stanford and his brother Cole mm-hmm. and just to just to work with a great group to to do something to do something different and to try to be successful in another arena yeah so the opportunity that was was in front of me um think it was one of those opportunities I could not pass up and uh, life-changing opportunity you know just just from a standpoint of, of quality of life also um, just challenging myself to a new challenge um, and being a part of something that's that's already established um, has been very successful yeah. with Finale Development it's a family-owned company um, but but trying to see if we can take it to the next level um, so that that was really the that was really the driving factor um, the other, the other factor was, you know, I, I always, I, I always just, we coach 360 days a year. Yeah. I mean, when you're coaching boys and girls in high school, if you really want to be successful as a coach, it takes time and it takes an everyday commitment. And, you know, I, I know I, I got one week off in August. I mean, from, from boys JOs, I went right to girls. I got one week off and then I was back coaching the boys again, Yeah. you know? So, um, that 360 days and just the amount of sacrifice my wife gave to me chasing my dreams of, mm-hmm. of coaching and she knew what I love for the sport, but my daughters were also, you know, when I started Modern Day, I just had my oldest Reagan and then Madison and Paige came along mm-hmm. and they were getting to that age where they were getting into sports and they had, you know, whether it was dance, soccer, water polo, swimming, and I was missing everything. So it was like, okay, I'm starting, I'm, I'm selfish now. Yeah. You know, not only am I asking my family and my wife to do everything with, um, and sacrifice for me to go coach, um, I'm missing my kids. I only have a short period of time before my daughter is out of my house yeah. in college. I think, and I'll never get that time back. Yeah. And, then, and then I felt like, you know, as a coach at the high school level, um, be, maybe because I spent so much time that could be my fault with the kids. Um, maybe it's because I felt like I was a mentor and a coach. I really felt like I had, I always called them my, you know, my 60 kids. 
because I felt like every problem or every situation I was being thrown at, I had, I had to deal with, you know? Yeah. And so I felt like I was almost like a camp counselor at times. Um, and so I felt like I, I wasn't coaching as much. I was more just trying to keep things together, mm-hmm. keep the team dynamics together, work on like issues within the team, whether they're family issues, school issues, friend issues. Um, and it was really taken away from the reason why I started coaching in the first place. Yeah. Um, and so for all those factors, primarily just the opportunity, I felt like it was, it, it was the time for me to move on. Um, I'm extremely grateful for everything modern day provided me and, and uh, my experience there. And I'm so proud of all the, you know, like I'm sure you are proud of all the, all the kids who come through my program. Yeah. And watch them now get married and have kids and be Olympians, whatever it may be. Um, but for me personally, if I if I wanted to to really be a good dad, if I really wanted to experience life, I need to make a change. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of that was just pressure I put on myself. You know, I, I I I didn't see any other way of doing it besides being fully committed. Yeah. I wasn't the type of coach that would coach three months a year, and say, Hey, go play for a club. And I'll see you guys back in August. We'll play a few tournaments together. Yeah. That's that wasn't me. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you know? just can't be that. It, you can't do that. Like, if you want to be really successful, yeah, you know, like I, I, I think to myself, and you know, I don't know if you've ever thought this, but hey, if I came to Olu and I was like, I could have said, okay, this is gonna take me ten years to to get to the top. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna buy myself ten years right now and just yeah. take it easy. Yeah. You know, as opposed to going like, boom, 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 we're all playing together. We're all, yeah. you know, and you know, I'm, I go through similar things, you know, my wife's at home with the kids and you know, we have a two year old right now and it's freaking not easy being at home with kids. Like yeah. it's, it's not easy being a stay at home parent under any circumstance. Absolutely. And when you add travel and weekends and drama <laughs> An email that will, you know, like, hey, you know, you know, and I've always said this, and I actually said this to a couple parents this past year. You email me at 10 o'clock at night and it makes you feel better. I read it and it makes me feel worse. So you just ruined my night and you just made your night better. So think about that next time you do that, you know. Um, But I would imagine that there was a, a lot of demanding, you know, because you were also the A.D., yeah. So you didn't just. What other sports were you dealing with? Yeah, I, I was in. I was in charge of of lacrosse. I was in charge of soccer. I was okay. in charge of other sports. So I mean, were you dealing with that drama too? Yeah, I mean, oh I mean gosh. yeah, you you know, you know, my my athletic director job there was probably eighty percent of my job responsibility, mm-hmm. right? You know, I had a passion for water polo. Um, so and I and I get what you're saying because what what parents what parents don't understand is we're not like a coach doesn't just leave the deck and your mind turns off. Yeah, I wish you know. And you like you read an email or you have a bad practice or you're preparing for the next game or you know some a drama is happening or you 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 know you have to dress something the next day. You go home. You want to play with your kids, but there's part of it. It's only human nature. Your mind is thinking about those issues. Yeah, yeah. you know. And, and that's, and that was where I really, you know, I was on vacation in Hawaii and I got, a, I got an email and it's like, and it was crazy. And I was like, the rest of my trip, I was trying to have a good time. I was trying to enjoy my time with my family, my only break. But then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about this issue that's happening back at modern day. 
and it's like you just can't those two worlds collided yeah, you know yeah um and i'm sure your wife is being is was trying to be supportive so basically vent to me but in the back of her it, you know i'll just speak for my wife she's always like tell me what's going on so i can get it off my yeah. chest but deep down it's like hey just being married you have your own personal Absolutely. Issues. Yeah. So I was like, now you're bringing in all this other stuff. Right. And like, when do you work on your own sort of marriage? I mean, I, I totally, I'm, I'm blessed here at Olu with my schedule. And so like, I'm not even trying to complain because I, I enjoy what I do, like in terms of like teaching and, you know, like I, I'm not in an administrative yeah. role. So yeah. it's a little bit different for me, but you know, I, I just remember having that conversation with you, um, at, at the CIF meeting and just sort of, um, and I'm wondering if in the back of your mind throughout the years coaching, did you ever think to yourself, is this all my life is meant to be is like just a water polo coach? Of course you're changing lives. And of course all that stuff, I yeah. mean, that aside, but obviously you had an ambition that you felt like you could do something, you know, bigger, which equals more money, which equals a better way of life and having vacations and being at every one of your kids yeah. games. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and a new challenge for me. You yeah. know, I I knew very little. You know, I you know I was dabbing into a little bit for a couple of years, but like, develop you know business world is totally different than yeah. what we deal with. What we de- what I dealt with, you know, being an administrator coach, um, you know, more so from, for the, it it was really hard transition from a standpoint of, I would I would leave work at five p.m. and I wouldn't get one email. Unless it was like a pressing thing of work, but like when I wouldn't get one email and I wake up in the morning, to, you know, work out at 7 a.m. And I look at my phone and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. you know, or on the weekends, I, I like almost felt like I wasn't doing enough. Yeah. You know, it was, it was a hard transition from a standpoint, like it was a life changer, Yeah, you know, and, uh, you know, every Saturday and Sunday, there is no work ever unless I want to go to a job site and look one of our developments. Yeah. Um, you know, I have no responsibility besides going to my kids' games or or being a husband at home, and yeah. and that took a lot to get used to. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that, you know, but but it was just an opportunity. I yeah. It was a it was a, it was a life changing opportunity and just for a new challenge in life and and being an athletic director at Modern Day was awesome. Um, worked with some great people at Modern Day. Um, but yeah, that presented a whole new challenge on top of, on top of the coaching. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any say in what was going to happen after you left? Were you, did they ask you, did they care? Or was it just like, I don't even want to help. I just want to walk away. Yeah. You you know, when I, when I, when I told, when I told the president, uh, Mr. Murphy, when I told, when I, when I told him and, you know, that I was leaving modern day in that meeting, he asked me who I, who I would recommend. And I, I told him, I told him there's only one person I'd recommend. That's Brett Ornsby. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, Brett, I have tremendous respect for Brett. And uh, I said, that's the one guy in the high school, in the high school coaching world right now that I would, I would think that I can take this program and keep, keep building it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really told Modern Day that I didn't want to be involved in any aspect um, in the next selection. I didn't want to be in any of the interviews. I didn't want to have any input because I really wanted them to make a decision for themselves. You know, I told them that I'd be there if they wanted to bounce some names off me and I'll give them the positives and the negatives mm-hmm. so they can see the whole scope of it. 
Um, and I did that uh, for, for a lot of the applicants, but I, I didn't want to be a part of it because I, I felt like I was leaving. Yeah. You know, my, my career there was done. Um, the next coach that comes in has to put their own stamp on it. They're going to be their own person. They mm-hmm. shouldn't. They shouldn't be pressured to do it the Chris Segisman way. Yeah, um, that's not the right way to do it. Um, that was the right way for me, but it's not the right way for whoever's going in there. Yeah, and so I let them kind of run, run with it. Were you surprised by who they hired initially, or was it? In, were you indifferent? I was shocked. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll speak candidly. Um, I knew it wasn't the right fit for for modern day. Um, I was I. I didn't see it ending well. Let's yeah. just put it that way. Um, there's a, and not from an aspect that that he couldn't coach the game of water polo. Oh no, not, he has no. a phenomenal mind for water polo. Yeah, I agree. But as you know, Steve, working at a private school, you have to be able to fundraise. You got to be able to deal with parents. You know, you get there's a lot of other things that go on. I mean, I, I would say I always, you know, I interviewed coaches for various sports at Modern Day, and I always told them, hey, you know. Your administrative work is 80% of your job. Yeah. Being on the pool deck or soccer field, the basketball court, the other 20% is really the love for the sport. Yeah. yeah. And that's the way it is at private schools. So that's why I thought that the hire, I was a little bit taken back by who they hired. But again, that wasn't my, that was their choice. Yeah. And they now have to continue to find the right path. Yeah. You know? And I think a lot of people think, just like with me, with my job here at Olu, I'm I'm making you know 150 grand, didn't you know? Yeah, <laughs> I'm making 150 yeah, grand here, course, right? at Olu, you know. Yeah. And so shoot, I'm gonna go apply. I'm gonna go apply, and then yeah. they go and they show up, and they're like, "Wait, you only got a stipend?" Yeah, you know, people didn't realize that you were the AD as well, and that right. obviously comes with its own salary, and then the benefits and everything else, and that's why you're able to do what you do. Is because and you're running a club and you're hosting Absolutely. a couple of tournaments. Absolutely, you know, it's just like. You know, we're we're working three jobs to make right. ends meet. Right. Um, that's just the bottom line. Yeah. And so if you're not, you know, when you come in, it's it was almost like the lowest bidder. Like, because I heard a lot of people, including Olympians, uh, interviewed for the job. Yeah. And they basically were turned off once they realized, oh, this is only a stipend that was minuscule, is what I I had heard. You know, and so yeah, you know, I I wonder if it was like. Okay, shoot. They de- they declined. They declined. Like, what are we gonna do? Um, type thing. Instead of just hiring a teacher, which probably would have been a lot safer. Right. Um, and so, what do you think about? I, I don't know if you know the coaches there now, and I, I'm not there. I have no ill will. I'm I'm just wondering what you think of what's going on there now. I mean, are, do people reach out to you? Or I mean, I'm sure you don't want to hear anything about it. So yeah. But I mean, you have to at least know what's going on there. Um, what do you think? I mean, it seems it seems a little. Uh, it was a little bit tumultuous. I mean, a lot of people transferring out, a lot of people leaving. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, it was it, it was tough to watch. You know, it was tough to watch. You know, a program, Marty High School, that you know I gave my life to for thirteen years, go that route. You know, it was tough to watch the players that I coached still involved in the program, whatever whatever year of school they are, having to deal with that mm-hmm. and knowing that really I made the decision to leave. It was my decision to leave, and they're just dealing with it. You know, not the aftermath, but you know. Well, yeah, it is the aftermath. in the way the aftermath. So some of those kids came to Marty High School to be part of the program. Yeah, 
Um, Some of them came for you. Canada, so that weighed heavy on my heart. Yeah. You know, I felt really bad for the kids. Um, I have to give I have to give Brian Anderson a lot of credit, though. You know, he he stepped in when when see, it was a mess. You know, and he stepped in, um, and I think provided stability. Yeah. Um, to the program, and you have to give him a lot of credit for that. You know, that's a that's a really tough situation to be in and to step in there. Um, when you weren't the head coach, you weren't selected to be the head coach. You went through the interview process, mm-hmm. and then now you're in charge of this mess and try to make the best of it. Like I gave him a lot of credit. Yeah. Um, you know where that program goes. Honestly, it's going to depend on how 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 modern day supports it. Mm-hmm. You know, I had I had I had tremendous support. I had tremendous support from the standpoint that I was allowed to put my own philosophies in place and run with those philosophies and without modern day stepping on my toes, you know, um, sure. I had to be within the, in the parameters they set. Of course. Um, but if they're, if they're going to take some of those away and not allow a coach to have that flexibility, they're not going to be successful. Yeah. It almost seems like in a way, because of some of the things that went down, which I have no idea what actually happened. I just know people left and things like that, but, um, it almost seems like they tightened the grip a little bit. Uh, on the coaches and that hopefully they like loosen it up because I mean I do think I agree with you I mean I do think Brian did has done a good job yeah. stabilizing whatever you know yeah it's not easy losing a coach like right before the season starts you know what I mean like that's that's a tough position to be in for sure yeah well a coach a coach also create a lot of a lot of issues as he before he was even let go you yeah. know so um you know, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see whether, you know, Brian continues as the head coach or they open it back up mm. or the path modern day takes. But I think I think they're gonna be they're gonna it's gonna be uh it's it's gonna be a little bit of a different vibe there yeah. for years to come until they can really figure it out or Brian can really have the time to put his philosophies in place and see if they work. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, for sure. So I got a couple more uh, questions, and then I'm let you go because you got to go to work. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, who have been Who have been your biggest uh, mentors in coaching, um, player, coach? Yeah, you know, Ken Ken Lindgren, Ricardo, Ricardo Azevedo, Jim Ranta, and Rich Corso. You know, those those four guys have been tremendous. Um, inspirations for me when it comes to my coaching and, and really my growth. Yeah. Um, but the one guy, the one guy that's, that was my second father, I call him was Ken Lindgren. And, and the reason, you know, I had in my first two years at Long Beach state, he was let go at Long Beach state. And that was a huge deal for me, you know, and Ricardo came in. Um, and even after he let go, we'd have dinner once a month and, or go to lunch or breakfast. And, and I always loved Ken because I remember just after practice every day, I'd train and grind away. And then I, he was my math teacher. Oh, wow. So then I'd walk down the deck at Lombie State to, the, to his office, and he'd pull out his little uh, chair, and he'd work on math with me for an hour, hour and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was just like, wow. You know, it really taught me a lot that it's more than just water polo. Mm-hmm. You know, for to, if you want to coach, it's got to be more than just the game. Um and so I think Ken Ken really had an impact not only you know me as a person but me as a coach and you know I know Ken Ken passed away a few years back but um, we just we just kept that relationship going and 
And he's the one that that um, I tried to mimic the most when it came to my coaching philosophies and ideas and, and even as a man. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I hear Ken Lindgren's name a lot. He's just uh, it's just a, he was a good man. Yeah. You know, and he's a good man. He had love for the game and um, just a love for life. You know? It seemed like he gave a lot of people opportunities, too. You know, he wasn't afraid to give people opportunities. That's, that's Jim Brum. Steve Yancey, you know, yeah. you know, old school guys who talk about Ken Lindgren giving him, giving them their first shot. So yeah. I wish I, I wish I would have been able to meet him. I'm, you know, I met him, but speak with him at length, you know, yeah. um, I wish I would have had that opportunity. And so what advice would you give to a young coach? Um, what advice would you give to an older coach? What advice would you give to, <laughs> you know, the coaches right now? That's a, that's a tough question. You know, um, I think the the biggest thing I I would, I mean, just just my beliefs for a young coach, my my biggest thing, especially the high school level is, is know that you are more of a mentor than coach. You know, more that you, this age group that you are coaching, they're, they're, they're developing into, into young men and women and the water pull and the wins and losses are important, but being a mentor and a, a stability in their life, a role model is more important than what you do on the deck. Yeah. And that, and that, and that spans a lot, right? That's how you conduct yourself outside of the pool as a coach. You know, that's how you conduct yourself on a pool deck as a coach, which we all struggle with at times. Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, but that that'd be my 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 biggest thing for a young coach. Um, and then my second thing would be find your philosophies, your beliefs. And and run with it. Um, be secure in, in your decisions and who you think you are as a coach, and mm. and really try to build on those. And the third thing is, um, don't be cocky. Don't be don't be overconfident to the point where you don't want to learn from other people or accept criticism. Because there's a lot of great coaches. Yeah. I mean, I can name every. I mean. Yourself, you know, Brett, uh, Flax, Healy, Yovan, Adam. I mean, I I watched every coach, mm-hmm. and I would say a lot of my X and O's were developed over years, and they changed year to year to vent, depending on the kids I had. Um, but I'm constantly stealing from other coaches, yeah, because everybody has something different they do, and I think that's the biggest thing. If you really want to become a great coach, you got to be unselfish and willing to understand it. You're not the best. There's other people that do things better than you. And what can you take from them to make yourself better? Yeah. You know? That's good advice. I think a lot of us are so, in the water polo world, are so caught up with the competition of coaches and making a living and trying yeah. to let that. You, start, you, you forget that we're a small community that could actually be helping each other. You know what I mean? Um, and so one last thing, and you could say no comment to this. <laughs> Um, there's always these rumors. There's always these things about, you know, who's going to coach where and all those kinds of things. Are you done coaching or, I mean, for the immediate future, like I'm talking like this year, next year, the year after, Yeah. are you pretty much done? Cause I, I could, I would assume, I know your daughter's doing 10 and under, so yeah. you never know what could happen, yeah. you know, depending on, you know, how much they love it. Um, yeah. But uh, are you done or are you looking at other opportunities or? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Way to put me on the spot. 
I am I am a hundred percent done with coaching. Yeah. I uh, I live my life as a player. You know, I made the decision to stop playing. I've lived a great life as a coach. A lot of great memories. Um, really experienced a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. Who made my who I am today? But I I'm so happy being away from coaching. You know. Um, now that I'm through the forest and I can see, yeah. um, life is good. Um, if I come back to coaching, um, it would be like coaching a 10 on our team. Yeah. It would kids that are so innocent and just like, yeah. just want to hold a water pole ball and swim them down the pool. Yeah. Um, I can, I can deal with that and I can, I can find joy in that yeah. or maybe assisting a 10 on our team or yeah. 12 on our team. Yeah. But when it comes to like really coaching, a high level team or club it's i've lived my dream yeah i've moved on in life and uh i couldn't be more happier yeah yeah that's that's really yeah I, i'll tell you coaching i'm coaching 12 and unders right now and it has given me a new lease on coaching it's given me new like inspiration and because it's it's hard as a coach to find that inspiration sometimes yeah you do get in a rut and you do go through the same things and the same plays and the same, you know, but coaching 12s and these kids who are just like sponges and they just <laughs> want to know everything and they want to, and they have a passion. You're teaching them passion yeah. for the game. And that has, it's been so amazing coaching. My, my son is on the 12 and under team and it's been awesome. So yeah. I can definitely see, um, you know, you going back to something like that. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Cause I watched my daughter play 10 under, and she, you know, she plays a little bit here and there, but I can't stop smiling. Yeah, you know, for all the kids. Yeah. I mean, these kids are. It's just a. It's great to see their love for the game at that level. Yeah, and they're innocent, you know, yeah. um, and they're all sponges, one to learn, like you said. So I, I can see why you enjoy coaching twelve and unders, awesome. and um, awesome. yeah, it's it's great to watch, you know. Well, Chris, I know that was a lot, and I, I really appreciate you coming out here and and being candid about some things and just opening up, and you know, you did a lot. You know, you have done a lot, not just for, you know, USA, but for coaching in general. You raise the level up uh, for coaches and for schools and for administrations to really put more time and effort into um, investing into their programs. And I think a lot of that was attributed to you and what you were able to build at Modern Day. So um, thank you for being so open. Thank you for being here. And uh, hopefully uh, sometime in the future we could do it again. Yeah, anytime. Thanks, Steve. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks.